0: You're listening to the coffee hour. I'm Eddie Bates. Sarah's away today. We have a fantastic story to share with you as we take a look at a fantastic article in the October issue of The Lutheran Witness and digging into the Book of Concord. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining me today, the Rev. Dr. Cameron McKenzie. He's the Forrest E. and Francis H. Ellis Professor of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. McKenzie, thanks so much for joining me on the Coffee Hour today.
1: I'm glad to be with you, Andy. It's always great to talk to you and to your listeners.
0: You wrote a fantastic article in the October issue of The Lutheran Witness, Unity in the Church by Confessing Together God's Truth, the History of the Book of Concord. Uh, And you did a fantastic job of taking what uh, could be uh, a a 10-week course (laughs) and putting this into just a couple of pages in the Lutheran Witness this month. I think just a, a great overview of the history of the Book of Concord. And quite often, the Book of Concord is referred to as Concordia. What does this word, and, and we, as you pointed out in your article, the, the, you can't go very far without running into something named concordia in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. What is this word concordia? What does it mean?
1: Well, you know, I think if people know what it means at all, they're going to think of it as a synonym for uh, harmony or unity. That's actually mm-hmm. what the word does mean in the Latin language. What I think people probably miss a little bit is the fact that in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod we've named all of these institutions schools churches publishing house Concordia because that is the Latin name that we have assigned to the Book of Lutheran Confessions that sometimes we also call in English the Book of Concord so the way to harmony or unity through the course of Lutheran history has been uh, agreement on the truth of God's Word, as expressed in these definitive uh, statements that together we call the Lutheran confessions or the Book of Concord, or in Latin Concordia
0: so for for the sake of making a, a clear distinction here, what is the relationship of the the Lutheran confessions or Concordia or the Book of Concord? To the scriptures, and how does that connect us, unite us all as Lutherans?
1: Sure. Well, as Lutherans, we believe that uh, God has uh, revealed Himself, His will for humanity, His directions for life, His promises of hope in the scriptures, in the Bible. So that as Christians, we want to be faithful to what He has revealed there in the scriptures. And Because he has revealed himself in ways that human beings can understand and themselves can express, it's possible and desirable for us to say together what it is that we believe he has revealed in the scriptures. And that's what we do in these documents that we call the Lutheran confessions. These are statements that we have agreed upon, express the truths that God himself has revealed for us and for our salvation. In the Bible. So, one of the things that we do at all of our schools, but I know especially here at the seminary, is when we teach the Lutheran faith, we will use these documents as expressions of our faith. But in every instance, we will demonstrate that what it is that these documents teach actually is expressed clearly in the scriptures themselves. So that our harmony as Lutherans together is expressed in these documents only because they teach, they express, they speak what it is that God itself has spoken in the Bible.
0: For our St. Louis listeners... Anyone who is a St. Louis native would recognize this next concept not as, as strange. But here in St. Louis, we have many streets that go by multiple names. Even the street uh, just outside the building where I'm sitting is South Kirkwood Road, but you go just one block south and it's Lindbergh Boulevard. It's it, All the streets here in St. Louis have multiple names. We mentioned a couple of names for the Book of Concord already or for Concordia. Are, are, does it go by other names, but yet in, in different places? Is it... What are the different names for the Book of Concord?
1: Well, I I think the most common synonym for the Book of Concord is the Lutheran confessions. But each of those confessions has its own name, so Mm -hmm. that occasionally you will find, in connection with Lutheran establishments, the name, for example, of Augustana. But Augustana is simply the Latin for the Augsburg Confession. Which is really the first of the great Lutheran confessions from the Reformation period. But I I really think that uh, Lutheran confessions is the most common synonym for a concordia or the Book of Concord. Sometimes uh, the word symbol is used as a synonym for confessions, but these days we think of symbol as uh, something like a sign or representation. So it doesn't work very well, but sometimes in the older literature, You'll see that word, too, the Lutheran symbols.
0: So we've talked about concordia or concord or, or this being harmony, the, the, those terms meaning harmony. Where is true concord or harmony found? Well, among Christians, harmony or concord
1: is something that God himself establishes between us. As you and your listeners well know, the Christian religion is not reserved for one place, one time, one people, but rather is a universal expression of God's love for all humanity at all times and in all places. But God establishes a real essential harmony uh, between believers through a common faith in our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. So Concordia is First and foremost, a gift that God creates in Christians through the power of his gospel. Now, whether we have that harmony or not uh, is revealed in our confession or what we say or what we speak. So, the first and basic confession, as described in the New Testament, is Jesus is Lord. So, we speak together, Jesus is Lord. But through the centuries, all kinds of arguments and debates have developed over the content of our basic confession as Christians. And so we have to go back to God's revelation in order to determine precisely how it is that God answers that we sinful human beings uh, have gotten confused about or argued about or gotten wrong. And so the harmony of which we speak that God has expressed and that we express then in our confessions is normed by the scriptures. And so in the particular case of the Lutheran Church, our history has demanded that we express this truth at particular times and places, and then the documents that we have collected together in this
0: book, the Book of Concord. So we have these Lutheran, <clears throat> excuse me, we have these Lutheran confessions, this Book of Concord, How did it come to be? Who wrote these confessions? Who wrote this Book of Concord?
1: That's a great question. There are 10 different documents in the book. Each of them has its own history. They were accumulated finally in 1580 as a collection of documents that together would define what it meant to be Lutheran and so would unite all those, especially in the German-speaking world, all of those who saw themselves as the theological heirs of Martin Luther and his colleagues earlier in the century. Um, But each one of them has really its own history. In order to demonstrate that the Lutheran faith was not something brand new with Martin Luther, the confessors of 1580 made sure to include three documents from the early church, Documents which reflected the issues in debate in the early church, particularly the issue of who was the savior, who who was Jesus Christ, and what was the true God. The doctrines of the person of Christ, and then also that of the Trinity. And Lutherans, so therefore, were saying we confess the faith that Christians have always confessed in these three documents. But then, in the 16th century, Luther, of course initially squared off uh, against the Church of Rome on a number of fronts, but first and foremost, how it is that a person is saved, how it is that a person enters into a right relationship with God. So a great deal of the Lutheran Reformation and these Lutheran confessions deals with that question. How can I be right with God? And the answer, of course, of the scriptures is that God has made it possible for us to be right with him through the saving work of Jesus, work that he offers to us in the word and sacraments, and work that we receive through faith. Not by works, not by attitudes, not by anything that we do, but simply by accepting the promise that God offers. So that's a, a central question which is expressed and considered in the Lutheran confessions. But then that also involves things like the, the sacraments, what it is that we have or what it is that we're doing when we consecrate the bread and wine, distribute it and eat it. This was controversial. Rome had taught that this was kind of a continuation or a re-sacrifice of uh, Christ's body and blood that the priest was adding to continuing or ever else you want to express it. What our Lord had originally done on Good Friday, Luther said, no, 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 that's not right. Christ has done it all, and what God is doing is distributing the forgiveness of sins in this, in this sacred meal. So again, that's something which deserves a lot of attention. And then, of course, since it was the official hierarchy of the church, the pope and the bishops, that issue has to get considered in the Book of Concord. What is the true church? What is the proper function of a clergyman? How do we get clergy? So that's another issue. So you've got justification. That is the idea of salvation through faith in Christ. You have the means of grace, the word and the sacraments. You have the doctrine of the church and, and all kinds of other issues that flow out of those central central concern. So that's what you have in the 16th century documents, at least to begin with. Then later on in the formula of Concord, we get a great deal of discussion regarding arguments that developed after Luther's death. And one of the things there that came to the fore was, what is the true teaching of the sacraments over against not the Catholics? But over against other Protestants, in particular the Reformed. And when I say Reformed, I'm talking about uh, those uh, Protestants who would have looked at people like Ulrich Zwingli in Switzerland, in Zurich, or John Calvin in Geneva, who in some ways agreed with the Lutherans over against Rome, but in other ways disagreed with the Lutherans on, say, for example, sacraments. And there the big issue was, what is it that we receive when we eat the consecrated bread and drink the consecrated wine? Lutherans, faithful to what Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood of the New Testament, believed and taught, therefore that we participate with our mouths in the real body and blood of Jesus. Whereas the Reformed basically said, no, you've only got bread and wine. It might symbolize, it might even offer a kind of spiritual communion, but it's not really in the bread and wine that you would receive the body and blood. So that got argued about, and that had to be expressed. But that in turn was related to another question, and that was related to the person of Jesus Christ, because the reform said That since Christ was a true man, he had a true body, and a true body can only be in one place. And that place was up in heaven at the right hand of the Father. It was not here on earth in the bread and the wine. Lutherans, again, looking at the scriptures, said we need to be guided by what the Bible teaches. And the Bible teaches that the body and blood are there in the sacrament. So we can't restrict the humanity of christ to a particular place because that humanity of christ has been united to the divinity of christ our lord is god and man in one person as a result of that we would affirm that our lord christ our lord christ according to his human nature according to his body is wherever he wants to be and in the scriptures, he, told, he tells us that he wants to be in the bread and wine. So that got argued about also in the uh, late Reformation period. And so you have issues that come up later in the Reformation that get confessed on the basis of the scriptures in that last of the Lutheran confessions, namely the uh, formula of concord.
0: We're taking a look at the history of the Book of Concord today with Reverend Dr. Cameron McKenzie. He's professor of historical theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. Wrote a wonderful article in the October issue of the Lutheran Witness, Unity in the Church by Confessing Together God's Truth. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. (laughs) Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. Today we are talking with Rev. Dr. Cameron McKenzie. He's the Forrest E. and Francis H. Ellis, Professor of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. Wrote an article in the Lutheran Witness October issue, Unity in the Church by Confessing Together God's Truth, A History of the Book of Concord. So today we're digging into the history of the Book of Concord. And... you've you've really painted a great picture for us here Dr. McKenzie of some of the issues that the church particularly the the lutherans the confessing lutherans what were some of the you know the issues that they were facing that in that time who were these confessors that wrote these lutheran confessions earlier you mentioned to you know the confessors in 1580 who were these confessors and and what role did luther have in writing these confessions
1: uh that that really is a very good question and, and and an important one we can answer this under like two categories
0: <laughs>
1: first of all there are the theologians who actually wrote the words wrote the documents looked up the scriptures made the arguments and among those the uh, principal ones are martin luther and his ally and friend at the University of Wittenberg, namely Philip Melanchthon. So among the 10 documents that we call the Lutheran Confessions, three of them are by Luther and three of them are by Melanchthon. Luther's are probably the ones that are, at least the one of them is most familiar to Lutherans, and that is the small catechism. Wrote that for the instruction of the German people, children, as well as adults, on account of the fact that after the Reformation began and they started looking into the situation in the parishes, they discovered that most characteristic of the parishes was abysmal ignorance. Nobody knew anything, practically, about the basics of the Christian religion. So Luther put the small catechism together as really an instruction manual in the basics. But among those who didn't know anything were also the pastors, so Luther wrote an expanded version of the catechism for the instruction of the pastors. So we get two catechisms from Luther: they are the small catechism and the large catechism. And then a few years later, he wrote a set of articles that are called the Schmalkald Articles or Small Called Articles. And though the history is a little complicated. It was simply Luther's uh, statement about the basics of the Christian religion that had to be held to if there were ever a grand meeting or a church council that would include Lutherans and Catholics. These these were the articles that one could not yield, one could not give up, Uh, although at the end he includes a few things that you could argue or talk about. So three of them come from Martin Luther. And then three from Philip Melanchthon. Melanchthon is the principal author of the Augsburg Confession, which was that great statement of the Lutherans at the Diet of Augsburg before the Emperor Charles V himself. And then Melanchthon penned a defense of that confession when it came under attack from the enemies of Lutheranism at that Augsburg Diet. And then a few years later, too, he wrote kind of a supplement to the Augsburg Confession because the original confession, though it dealt with the power of the bishops, did not deal with the papacy. And so Melanchthon added, for the sake of uh, the church, a treatise on the power and the primacy of the pope. So theologians like Luther and Melanchthon were responsible for penning the documents. But in a very real way, It was the Lutheran lay leaders who actually turned those statements into confessions because they were the ones who at Augsburg for the first time in 1530, they were the ones who presented this confession to the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. It wasn't Melanchthon who read it. It was instead the chancellor of the elector of Saxony who read it and it wasn't Luther who signed it. It was the princes of the empire and representatives of a couple of imperial cities who wrote it. So, they become confessions, not because theologians write them, but because these Lutheran lay leaders confessed them and made those words their own. Now, that's the basic story of the earlier confessions, the formula of Concord is very similar. That's the one from 1577, the last of these. There were lot, there was lots of conflict after the death of Luther. And this conflict tore apart the Lutheran territories. Everybody was claiming to be an authentic Lutheran follower of Luther, but not everybody was, so there's a lot of arguing and the theologians are at the forefront of those arguments. But again, it's the Lutheran lay leaders, the princes and rulers of these territories concerned about the well-being of their church, who take the initiative in saying, we've got to end this. And so they push the theologians to preach the sermons, write the documents, and finally to articulate what it is that the Lutherans believe, taught, and confessed about All of the issues that had emerged since the death of Luther, put it together in a formula of concord. This one, theologians did sign, but it's the lay leaders who made these the official, or made this the official teaching document confession for the church in their territories. So once again, you have theologians making the arguments, but you have lay leaders turning those documents into confessions of the Lutheran Church. And I think both things are still important. You know, pastors and theologians proclaim, teach, and so forth, but we need lay people to embrace and continue to speak, confess, witness, and live according to those same teachings uh, from the Holy Scriptures.
0: So, the confessions, just as important as they were in uh, fifteen eighty, as they are today for us, particularly as Lutheran Christians. How do we, how do we study? How do we bring these Lutheran confessions into our our daily study, our daily vocation, so that we we understand what we as Lutherans believe, teach, and confess?
1: Oh, there lots of ways in which to learn the truth and to uh, articulate it. But I would like to recommend one particular work. This is a publication by Concordia Publishing House that the late uh, Reverend Paul McCain had a great deal to do with. And that is the reader's edition of the uh, Book of Concord. This is a collect; it's the Lutheran Confessions with all kinds of notes, helps, introductions, explanations. Designed for lay people. Lots of pastors use these in their Bible studies, but lay people can get a hold of them, read them, and they're very understandable and usable. So I recommend that in particular in connection with the Book of Concord.
0: We have a great resource here at KFUO. Pastor Sean Smith hosts Concord Matters here at KFUO. It's on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m., and you can also get it on podcast podcast. It's a fantastic resource for helping us work through these Lutheran confessions. Current series right now is the Catechist Life. It's a really helpful resource for studying the confessions and, and understanding what they mean for us today as well. Uh, well, this is just, I enjoyed your article uh, very much so in the October issue and have enjoyed the chat that we've gotten to have today as well. Thank you so much for being my guest today, Dr. McKenzie.
1: Thank you very much, Andy, for having me. I enjoyed it as well.